Good morning. Dana, I don't know if you chose those songs or if you worked with the rest of your ladies group that did. Those were fabulous this morning. So perfectly fit. Sonia and I are excited this morning. We uh, had a, a bit of uh, a journey here for the last seven months, as we have shared, um, with our son being in Kuwait. Uh, you know that uh, yesterday we heard the news that Iran had captured several British ships and have taken those sailors captive. Uh, as we've been watching what's been going on, there's always been a worry that something was going to happen that would keep Riney there and extend his time. He was worried about that too. And uh, so yesterday we had sent some messages and we didn't hear and we had heard the news that the commander-in-chief was briefing soldiers and it's like, oh dear. And uh, kept messaging and didn't hear nothing. And uh, got a phone call last night, a video phone call at 1 a.m. And it was him. And I was like, oh, no. And he said, sorry to wake you guys, but I just wanted to tell you, I'm in Ireland. <laughs> He's on his way home. In fact, he should have landed in Baltimore about an hour ago. Still haven't heard, but that's where he's supposed to be. So we're grateful for that and thanks, thankful for answered prayer. At the same time, it was a realization of realizing. He, he, he just texted. Okay. Very good. So he is home. Um, at the same time, we also realized, man, there's British moms and dads, brothers and sisters, grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles and all a host of however many men and women were on those ships, that they are not rejoicing this morning. They are worried sick. And so before we go any farther, I'd like to pause and just offer a prayer in behalf of them this morning and, re and remind us to be remembering them in prayer for the safety of those sailors that are in captivity this morning because of hostile intentions. Father in heaven, while, Father, my heart and my wife's heart rejoices, as well as the others who came home, Father, our hearts are very quick to be reminded that there are men and women in uniform of all different walks of life that are still there. Some have just arrived, but especially those who have been taken captive just yesterday. Father, protect them. Be with them. Strengthen the hearts of their parents and their family members and be especially close to them. We thank you for hearing this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. When God speaks, does anybody listen? We know when E.F. Hutton speaks, <laughs> people listen. But I wonder if it's that way with God. What we're going to talk about today is the importance of when God speaks, but not just when God speaks in general, but when God speaks to you and me, because He does. Whether we acknowledge it or not, He does speak to us. In fact, our scripture, Jesus would tell us, I tell you the truth, 
that the Son can do nothing on His own, but only what He sees His Father doing. That's what the Son does. Or what the Father does, that's what the Son does. There was such a relationship between Jesus and the Father, which is kind of a bit of a conundrum when we try to reconcile that God, that Jesus was God in the flesh. Why would He have to listen? Why would He have to take the time to develop a communication relationship that would fortify Him and help Him? And why He would say something like this? When it would make sense that He was God, He knew what the plan was, He would just enact it. And there's an important reason for that. Amos 3.7 says that surely the Lord God does how much? Nothing. Unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. God has a plan. God didn't just have a plan for other people. We get to read of the plan that God has and the characters specifically in the Old Testament where it's more clearly portrayed to help us understand that when we don't see the plan doesn't mean it's not being carried out. Or when other things go on that we can tend to look at as interruptions in the plan, that they're really not interruptions. The dynamic is for us to learn that which we would not learn in any other way. You, you, I've, I've said this before, God has a preferred way to teach us, and that's by just listening to His voice. You know, reading the Bible, understanding what He has shown to us, that would be His preferred way to teach. His backup is that He would also provide to us godly counsel, godly men and women that would come alongside and enter into our life and give us that little touch on the elbow or that little squeeze on the shoulder and say, come on, spend that time with us and encourage us. But when neither one of those two are effective, and most times they're not, he has one unfailing fallback plan. L-I-F-E, life. We all seem to learn that way best. It's kind of a thing that we probably wish we wouldn't have to, but it is the truth. The dynamic that Sonia and I have been hearing, and we are so grateful to be here with you all, especially in this last year. Your kind care and loving concern is really so appreciated and so meaningful. But the dynamic that people would say, man, now it wasn't bad enough that Sonia had cancer, now you have cancer. Yeah? Praise God. While that can sound like what? <laughs> yeah, praise God. You see, because I have a privilege, you don't. Unless you're doing something like that. I thought it was one thing to get to know God because my wife had cancer, and I realized that wasn't His plan. It's not enough yet, so I have it too. 
And the blessing and the privilege and the praise is that I have the opportunity to get to walk with him even closer than I've ever dared even imagine. And that is a praise. And that can sound really, really dumb. (laughs) Self-defeating, self-deprecating. But that's the truth. We're going to listen to what God says today and God's going to be saying something to each and every one of us and when the day is done he's going to be asking us for a commitment we're going to look at the basis for that commitment we're going to look at some examples and then we're going to listen to why we need to commit that's the outline for today and it's all based on this the dynamic is we're going to take a look at the life of Moses there is much in there You see, when God spoke to Moses, three things became very apparent. They're the key points for today that we can learn just exactly what happened to Moses and we can find some wisdom for us. The first thing is that Moses knew when God was talking, it was God talking. Moses knew that. The second thing is Moses knew what God was saying. It was very clear what God was telling him. And the third key principle is that Moses also knew what he was supposed to do. He wasn't vague. There wasn't, uh, to say that again, God, I'm not quite sure, I don't quite get that. What, what? There was none of that. So, we got to go back 400 years to kind of lay a foundation to get a point. To really understand what God is working with Moses for. So T-minus 400 years from Moses being born, we find the background that God was already at work. He was already enacting a plan. A plan of salvation. The plan that's always been there. And God has revealed that plan in many different dynamics to help us understand that it's actually there. With Abraham, in Genesis 15, God realizes and helps Abraham to understand. Now, you have to understand that that Abraham could have really been scratching his head at this when God's telling him, your descendants, your people, the nation you're going to become is going to be in bondage to another country, serving them for a period of 400 years. All the while, Isaac isn't even born yet. How much sense does that make? You're telling me that my heritage, my I'm going to be a big nation, and they're going to go into bondage and serve another foreign country when I don't even have a son. In Genesis 18, he finally gets the promise. There's a whole lot of years that go by between the time Abraham gets the promise of the son and by the time he actually gets a son. But in verses 16 through 18, God says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, seeing that he is going to be a great nation? Just because we don't understand the plan doesn't mean God doesn't. And God is very clear 
He wants us to understand what his plan is, not just in general. He wants us to understand the plan and how it relates to me. He wants you to understand how the plan relates to you. And he will communicate that as directly to you as he did to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, and every one of the characters. You see, we have to understand that when God spoke to Moses on that mountain at the burning bush, the plan was already in action. Not just 400 years previously, but a whole lot longer than that. Now fast forward. A key principle in understanding what's going on is not just the facts, the dates, the events, prophecies. The key understanding this morning is the relationship. You see, from start to finish, Moses had an incredible life. He was saved as a baby in Exodus chapter 2. What a dramatic story. In a miraculous fashion, Moses' life was preserved. At the end of his life, we find that in the book of Hebrews, a great epitaph is written about Moses that, yep, he was an Egyptian, but he chose and made the purposeful choice to align himself with God and God's heritage instead of living in the pleasureful life of Egyptian life as probably the next in line to be Pharaoh. And while those are the bookends, the important thing for us to understand is not the start and not the finish. The important thing is to find that dash in the middle. You know, like we have on every gravestone, the birth year and the death date. And it's contained and it's separated by a dash and that's where everything happens. There's a dash here too that we must understand. Because it was understood that Moses was talked to, Moses was trained, Moses was educated to understand who he was and what his purpose was and why God had called him to existence and why God had saved and spared his life. He was the deliverer of Israel. And when those 12 years were done and Pharaoh's daughter came calling and took Moses to live with her in the palace, and he was then educated even more. And as he watched the plight of his countrymen, managing trying to keep the secret, pondering all of that, Moses took it upon himself finally to say, okay, now's time. Now's time to deliver, and he took an Egyptian and killed him. Moses was living out his calling until all of a sudden it became known that he was the one that killed the Egyptian, and he was banished and fled, and all of a sudden now this deliverer of Israel is herding sheep in the middle of a Bedouin desert. Well, I guess that ruined God's plan, huh? 
So after 40 years goes by, God finally says, okay, now I'm ready. And Moses is tending those sheep and he looks up and he sees this burning bush. Grabs his attention. It's a peculiar thing because the bush is burning and it's burning and it's burning and it should have been gone by now, but it's not. In fact, it's not even being consumed at all. I mean, that alone would grab your attention to just sit there and go, wow. Not alone the voice that would come out and say, Moses, take off the sandals from your feet for the ground you are standing on is holy ground. He actually heard that. In the same way you're listening to my voice today, he heard God address him and talk to him. What would you give? You know, we might want to say, what would we give to have that happen today? I'd rather say, what would we give to acknowledge and recognize it when it happened? Because I believe God's talking to us all the time. You see, God has a long history of speaking to people. It's listed throughout the entire Bible. This is just a few in the Old Testament. Noah, build me an ark. A what? It's going to rain and flood. What, what? Didn't make any sense. In fact, oftentimes the things that God says to us really don't line up real well with logic. Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. How's that going to happen? God, I don't have any kids and... and it's not happening in one year, two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years goes by. What? You are talking gibberish, God. Hagar, Gideon, Daniel, a pagan king, Samuel, a young boy hearing the voice of God in the night. The Bible is replete with example after example after example of God speaking to people. Do you hear Him speaking to you? Not only did Moses know it was God speaking, Moses understood what God was saying. It was time it was finally time now, 80 years later, it was now time for deliverance to take place. He understood that because God was very clear and very specific. God said, I have chosen you. God reaffirms the fact that those previous 80 years did not disqualify him from the plan. That God indeed had chosen Moses at that time with everything that had happened to that day still as his chosen agent to be his spokesperson. To deliver the message to Pharaoh and to the rest of the people. God also made it exceptionally clear that God was going to be with him. that God was sending him 
to the children of Israel and to Pharaoh. And that God actually not only told him, but gave him physical evidence of it that was quite dramatic. So not only did Abraham know it was God's voice, he knew what God was saying, he also knew what he was supposed to do. And this is where the rub comes in. It's crisis. Because it's not enough to know it's God's voice. It's not enough to understand what God is saying. It's not even enough to know what we're supposed to do. Unless we actually do it. And that's where the crisis comes in. The crisis is what do I believe? Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus, chapter 4. In the book of Exodus, chapter 4, we find Moses rehearsing to God why this really is not a great plan. And every reason why this isn't a great plan revolves around who? Him. First off, in chapter 4, verse 1, suppose they will not listen or believe my voice. Why would he say that? Because he already knew they didn't have much. The last thing that he heard them say was, oh, are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? Mr. Deliverer? Yeah, they ain't going to listen to me. How many of us deal with that? God, nobody listens to me. I've got nothing to say. There's no appreciation for me in my church. There's no appreciation for me in my denomination. Lord, I'm, I'm not eloquent. I, I, I don't talk very well. Man, he was educated in the school of the pharaohs. Do you think he didn't talk well? No, he talked very well. That's just an excuse. Because he was doubting God. And the way that he doubted God wasn't to doubt God, it was to doubt himself. And in doubting himself, he was indeed doubting God. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have I not the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what to say. He said, O oh Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Lord, somebody else, anybody else, just not me. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses 
So we have to understand, if you read the rest of verse 14, that God is kind of saying, look, okay, look, all right, all right, all right, all right, I'll, I'll give you Aaron. That's not what he's saying. You need to read this, and the idea, it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled. It was kind of ignited. Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. You see, the crisis that Moses had was not a crisis for God. And that's something we have to understand. We can have all kind of excuses. God won't pay attention to them any more than He paid attention to Moses. But the question is, when we hear God's voice, we understand what He's saying. We know what we're supposed to do. Will we be like Moses? Maybe the better question is, are we like Moses? Are we knowing what we're supposed to do, but we're just sitting here? Lord, send somebody else. Lord, I can't give a Bible study. I don't know what to say. Lord, what am I going to do? I don't know what to tell anybody. I mean, for crying out loud, my life's a wreck. What am I supposed to, how am I supposed, just fill in the blank. Moses chose in that moment to make an adjustment. To be obedient. And because of that simple choice to be obedient, to listen to what God was saying to him, to understand what he was supposed to do, Moses made the choice to say, okay, I will. And he got up and he started walking. And because he made that simple yet terribly hard choice, Moses got to do something very few have ever gotten to do. Moses got to experience God. You see, the dynamic while Sonia and I, in fact anybody else who has gone through any type of extreme tragic or hardship or anything that makes somebody else go, hmm, that looks hard. I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> the blessing is that you get to experience God in a way you never could save that event happen. And it doesn't happen just because the event happens. It only happens when you recognize it and accept it as the blessing it's intended to be. You see, because I look back at much of 2018 with regret. Because I spent much of 2018 bitter, angry, frustrated, critical mean and I didn't recognize it for the blessing that it was and I squandered it and I can't take it back I can't there's no do over <laughs> you see Moses is a great example of working with God where he is already at work so my question for us this morning is are we watching 
Are we listening to hear what God is saying to us? You see, and that's totally different than what God is saying to me as the preacher. What God is saying to Elder Corden as our president. What God is saying to Gary Thurber or Dan Jackson or whoever else you look to as leader. God is speaking to you. Are you hearing Him? God is showing you things that He wants. Are you seeing it? You see, oftentimes, this is a truth, oftentimes people in churches get so busy in doing the things they think will help achieve God's purposes that we don't even bother to find out what He actually wants. <laughs> we know what to do. We got to tell people who the Antichrist is. We got to tell people what's going to happen. We've got to prove it by understanding and explaining through right biblical prophecy interpretations just exactly what's going to happen and why Saturday is the Sabbath, why Sunday is the false Sabbath, why that is the mark of the beast. Anybody, you understand what I'm saying? That's what we have to do. And we pour time resources to the tunes of thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars into that. Barna did some research. It was kind of intriguing to me. Per capita response for dollars invested in evangelism. The amount of money that it takes the denomination to win a convert. Do you know how much it costs Adventists to win a convert? That's a better part of $5,000 just about per convert. Where do you think that's on the spectrum of other churches? It is the absolute highest. It is the absolute highest amount. No one costs more money to make a convert than Seventh-day Adventists do. I found that intriguing. I found it also intriguing that there are denominations that it barely takes them $100. I found that really intriguing too. And before someone goes to the point to say, well, yeah, but you get what you pay for. <laughs> Don't go too far down that road. You see, we must not miss out on the relationship aspect. A time will come for action, but we must not short-circuit the relationship prospect or the process with God. That's why Jesus said, the Son will only do what He sees the Father doing. In John 17, Jesus tells the Father, I have done everything you sent me to do. Now I'm sending them. As you sent me, I am sending them. So in other words, the same principle applies. Should we be doing whatever we think we should do? No. We should only be doing what Jesus is laying on our hearts, where we see Him at work, what we hear Him saying. Not to Jody, doesn't help Todd to do a blasted thing of what Jody's doing. The only thing Todd should be doing is what God is telling him to do. And the same thing for each one of us. 
Because when we trust the Holy Spirit, when we trust God to be the commander in charge, do you think we're all going to be going off doing our own things? That's the last thing that's going to happen. There will be a unity that will never have been experienced. And that's what we're told will happen. I want to read a couple of things this morning. It's from this book that I referenced the last time. The author is an Adventist pastor, Dennis Smith. I found this really intriguing because he makes some points in here that I think are worth consideration. I'm not going to tell you they're true. I'm not going to say you've got to believe them. I'm just going to ask you to listen and then prayerfully consider if what he is saying is true or not. It is one thing to understand who the Antichrist beast power is and what his mark is. Being prepared for earth's final events that include the enforcement of that mark of the beast is an entirely different matter. Do you hear what he's saying? It's one thing to be able to identify it. It's one thing to understand what the Bible says about it. It's another thing, I mean, it's one thing to say there's coming a time when it's going to be enforced. It's a totally different matter to be ready when that happens. We can understand it and still not be prepared for it. We can know what the Bible teaches on these prophecies, yet we can still be unprepared when they are fulfilled. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience every Christian must have who is living at the time of the enforcement of the mark of the beast. Just as Jesus needed to be filled with the Spirit before He faced His greatest temptation in the wilderness with the devil, the Christian must be filled with the Spirit in order to face the temptations of earth's final events. Ellen White confirmed this when she wrote this, Nothing but the baptism of the Holy Spirit can bring the church to its rightful position and prepare the people of God for the fast approaching conflict. It's not a better evangelism process. It's not more money in the evangelism budget. It's not more people giving the message. It's not more training. It's not a better PowerPoint. It's not a better brochure. It's, it's, it's none of that. But where do we spend the lion's share of our time? Hiring the hired gun. While we will sit in the pew. And in fact, the last time I was here, I asked a question. You may remember, how many can explain the 2300 days? How many know what each of the beasts represent? How many know how to decipher the 2300 days and the 70 weeks and the 42 months and the time, time and a half a time? It just goes over our head. And even if we can say, yep, I understand that. The dynamic is when people come, and they'll be coming this fall. God's got people, I don't know how many, but God's got people that are going to walk through these doors and sit in these rows, and they're going to hear a message. And the interesting thing to me is every time I have done a series of meetings, there is one thing that is consistent with everyone who comes to a knowledge of that, and they come to a point, it's never failed, that in every meeting that I have done, 
Someone has come up to me and said, man, I can't believe this. But I've got a question. Where is everybody? And then when they do join the church and they realize the church they've joined is a church that's got a whole lot more people in it than what they came to the meetings to see, then they add that question again, well, why weren't they there? I thought this was really important. They, 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 oh, they must already know it. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, God's people receive the strength and faith to remain faithful to Him under trying circumstances. Paul told us we are strengthened in the inner man by the Holy Spirit. Another necessary experience is that all Christians who are living when the mark of the beast is enforced will need to have learned how to let Jesus live out His victory in them. They must experience righteousness by faith in Christ alone to the fullest extent. It is only as Christ lives out His life in us that we will truly be keeping all of God's commandments. This is why Ellen White connected the message of righteousness by faith with commandment keeping. Writing about the blessing of righteousness by faith that the Lord gave to our denomination all the way back in 1888. This isn't something new, but it is something that's been divisive. And I wonder why. When we take a look and understand the Lord in His great mercy sent a precious message to His people through Elders Wagner and Jones. But what happened to Elders Wagner and Jones? Where did they go? What did they do? Yeah. Does what they did after the fact attribute anything to the message they gave? The answer to that is, we certainly think so. And the truth of the matter is, it doesn't. Because the message was right. The message is true. The message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. And who is the surety? Mm -mm. Who is given as surety? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is given to us as the seal, as the surety. It invited people to receive the righteousness by Christ which is made manifest in what? Obedience to all the commandments. You see, the dynamic that I hear over and over again is so frustrating, is when you talk about faith, you talk about the gospel, you talk about believing in Jesus Christ, you talk about grace, oh, that just means you get to go on and do everything you want to do. And it's okay. That is a lie of the devil. And when we understand that that's a lie of the devil, who says that the most? I don't hear too many first-day churches saying, yeah, cheap grace and just believe in Jesus and you get to do anything you want to. I hear us saying that. And that's something that should be concerning. 
Many have lost sight of Jesus. They need to have their eyes directed to His divine person, His merits, His changeless love for the human family. All power is given into His hands that He may disperse rich gifts unto men, imparting priceless gifts of His own righteousness to helpless human agents. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. What is the message? The message that the Lord in His great mercy sent to Jones and Wagner. Righteousness by faith. That is the message to be given to the world. At least that's what she's saying. Now I'll leave that up to you how much you want to believe her or not. It is the third angel's message which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice, and what? Attended with the outpouring of His Spirit. In just a little bit? No, it says in large measure. So the question that I have for us this morning, are we hearing God's voice? Do we see that He's got a plan? Are we seeing Him at work anywhere? And are we doing anything about it? There's a plan. Over these next 12 months, we are putting time, energy, and finances into proclaiming the three angels' message. If all we do is sign the check that pays for the expenses and allow the pastor to stand up on this stage for about 20 nights starting October 11th, ending sometime before Thanksgiving. If that is all we do, what you need to do is tell the board never to vote that again. There is only one thing that will bring this church into its rightful position, and that is the baptism and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that does not get disqualified by who you are, what you've done, where you've been, or what you think. It didn't stop Jacob. It didn't stop Samson, nor Gideon, nor any of the Bible characters that God spoke to. Their past, their history, all the disqualifications never interrupted God's plan, ever. Do you think any of us here in this room are special? Does anyone here think that, yeah, well, that was Moses, but man, God doesn't know what I've done. God doesn't know what I'm capable of. God doesn't know all the secret things hidden in my closet. Our plan for the next 12 months is what I'm proposing. Personally place a priority on seeking God for spiritual revival and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in latter rain power in our lives, in our families, and in our ministries. Priority number one. Priority number two. Individually set aside significant time, amounts of time daily to fellowship with Christ through prayer and study of His Word. Not just two minutes, not just five minutes, not just a quick hurried prayer before you go out the door. It needs to be significant individual time. And examine our own hearts. I'm not going to examine Richard's or Ken's or Martha's. I might do Brian's, but I'm kidding. 
just examine and investigate who's looking back at you from the mirror. Make that your sole focus. To ask the Holy Spirit to convict you, convict me of anything that keeps us from revealing the character of Jesus Christ. Desiring willing hearts so that nothing in our lives hinders the fullness of the Holy Spirit in power. I said there was going to be an appeal, and this is the appeal. I'd like the deacons to hand out the slips of paper. They are handing out a slip of paper that I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider replying to, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, today, right now. Grab a pen, something to write with, but only sign this, only do this if you are actually willing to do it. Don't do it because it's a piece of paper and I'm saying something. Only do it if you're hearing the voice of God speak to your heart. You see, my friends, God is wanting to get our attention. He knows that through the history of humankind, very few have ever listened to the explicit, direct command and voice of God. Very few have ever done that, save Jesus Himself. Everybody else has surpassed that, and they've gone beyond godly counsel, and they usually respond to just life itself. So, my friends, I don't care. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care how hard life is. I don't care what things have happened in your life that to you seem to disqualify you in your mind from being a servant of the living God and allowing Him to speak to you and say, I want you. Nothing, nothing disqualifies you. Your education, anything, your past experience, You may be fighting with your spouse. You may be at odds with your kids. You may be getting close to being bankrupt. You may have made poor choices. Maybe your marriage is about to end. Maybe all different kinds of things are happening. Maybe you have, have stepped on so many toes that you have just lost every bit of appreciation from anybody. I don't care because Jesus doesn't care. It never disqualified Moses. It didn't disqualify Joseph. It didn't disqualify Jacob, nor Isaac, nor Samson, nor David, nor Paul, nor Peter. It never disqualified any of them. The only one it disqualified, and there is only one, that's Judas. Because Judas chose not to believe and ended his own life. So as long as you're still breathing... It is not too late. So I'm asking you this morning, if you will make a commitment with me, because I'm making this commitment myself, to personally place a priority on seeking God, to set aside significant time, and to examine my own heart. I'm signing this this morning.
I'm asking you to sign it. Fold it where the line is, tear it off, and give the copy of your signature to me at the back door. Because this is what we need to be understanding. From Acts 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when? On some calendar date? When the church reaches a certain amount of worldwide membership? No, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit is poured out and comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The church will be his witnesses. Seventh Avenue's pastors will be his witnesses. The evangelists will be his witnesses. No, you, you and me, individuals, will be his witnesses everywhere. Ask of me, and I will answer your request. The promise is made on a condition. Now, this is important. Friends, I've been here now almost seven months. It seems like a day. For some, it might seem like seven years. I don't know. Um, it seems like a day, but I've been here long enough to know that there are concerned and raised eyebrows about what's happening to our church. What's happening to the life of our church. People that have been here a long time are looking at the history of where the church has been and they're looking at what's going on now and they are concerned. I hear it. Understand this. Ask of me and I will answer your request. The promise is made on condition that the united prayers of the church are offered. It's not enough for the pastor and the elders or the church board. It is the united prayers of who? Church, who are you? You're the church. All of us together are the church. And in answer to these prayers, there may be expected a power that is greater than that which comes how? In answer to private prayer. Friends, nothing's going to happen until we come together. Nothing is going to happen until we put aside all of these other things that are getting in the way. Nothing is going to happen as long as I'm sitting on my blessed assurance thinking somebody else is going to do everything. The power will be given in proportion to three things. The unity of the members, their love for God, and their love for one another. That is taken from Manuscript, Volume 9, page 303, letter 32, back in 1905, on page 5, to Brother and Sister Farnsworth, back in 1903. This is not even a new concept. The reason it's not a new concept is because Satan is not doing anything new. He's not doing one thing to God's people today that he hasn't practiced and found successful in God's people in the past. You see, the Jews understood, they thought, the prophecies of the Messiah. Except they interpreted them how they wanted. And when Jesus actually claimed, came every fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah's coming, they still didn't recognize Him. And worse than that, they not only didn't recognize Him, they called Him Beelzebub. So the dynamic that's important for us to understand is if Satan is going to repeat that, then what must we be on the alert for? To do the same thing. Except this time, it's not only not recognizing Jesus, but how does Jesus come? Jesus comes through the outpouring, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is how He lives in this heart. 
But if I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit, if I call the Holy Spirit Beelzebub, is Jesus ever going to live in my heart? Not that way. So we must understand this is important. There is nothing more important than seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit because nothing outside of that will change one thing. I pray today that we hear the voice of God, that we understand what He is saying, and that not only do we understand what we're supposed to do, but we make the purposeful choice about what we believe and then actually make some changes so that we get to experience God as an individual believer. This morning, as you leave the sanctuary, the book that I quoted from today, Baptism of the Holy Spirit and Preparing for the Final Crisis, the sign-up sheet is out there. I'd encourage you to put your name on it. It is an incredible read, and it helps put things in a perspective that I think will be life-changing. I know it's been life-changing for me. Father in heaven, this morning I would just close by asking you to see the decisions that have been made today. That we would not look back, we would move forward, that we would not stop seeking the presence, the baptism, the outpouring of your Holy Spirit so that, Father, the world and what your word says of not just the three angels, but more importantly, the fourth angel that comes down and lights the whole world with your glory, that fourth angel is said to be representatively fulfilled by each and every member of your body that is filled with your spirit and takes your world, your word to a dying world. That is how the fourth angel's message is fulfilled. That will only happen when we take this step, when we submit to you and ask for the outpouring of your spirit. I pray today that you will seal those decisions and help us realize that your plan has been to use us all along. And there's nothing that disqualifies us save refusing to go. In Jesus' name I pray.